morning, Kavanaugh. Will you stand with us? We are excited to be here to worship our Lord. We want you to join in with us and let's sing together. standing. It's good to see you guys. How's everyone doing today? Good. We hope and pray that you've had an awesome week, a great, an even greater weekend. God gave us a beautiful day to come to gather together and to worship. Amen. Amen. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us this morning, Capital Church family. If you're a guest, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have you, um, and we are excited that you're here to experience God's goodness with us. 
It's, it's awesome. And those of you online, thank you so much for tuning in. We're hoping and praying that you are staying safe and healthy as well. Cannot wait to see you back here with us once again. God is good. And again, I am so thankful that you all are here. We're going to ask now for God to bless our services. So will you please bow with me in prayer? Lord, we love you. Again, we're excited to be here today as a church family. It is good to be in the presence of each other and of you. So God, we are asking for your spirit to move across us today, not just for a personal sense, but to enable us, to, to strengthen us, to encourage us to get out there and to, to move as you want us to move as the body of Christ. Lord, we believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the power of your love. We believe that everything that you give us um, is, is meant for our good. And we believe that we can find even more of that this morning. So be with Brother Will as he brings the message. Open our hearts, open our minds to what you want us to be, God, and help us to be the people that you want us to be. In your name, amen. Let's continue to worship. Psalm chapter 105, 
and the inscription at the top says, tell of his wonderful works. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Amen. Sing to him, yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength and continually seek him. Remember the wonders that he has performed, his miracles and the rulings that he has given. You children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, the chosen one. You know, I don't want to be guilty of not giving thanks to my Lord. And I do not want to become callous to his tender mercies that are new every day. I don't want to be uh, indifferent to all of the blessings that he pours out. I mean, just think that that's routine and get so used to it. I don't want to just assume God's goodness, right? And just expect him to pour out blessings on me. And I think it's easy for us to... Uh, fall into a trap where we don't honor him and consciously think about and offer him the thanks that he deserves. And so this morning as we sing this next song is called Great Things. Let's do like that inscription says, tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Let's boast about God a little bit as we sing this song, Great Things.
privilege to just gather together as believers and proclaim this morning what we believe. And God, I pray as, as we leave this place that you would empower us to be bold witnesses for you and that we would continue to proclaim to the world what we believe and why and what you've done in our lives. God, I'm so thankful for each and every person that's here this morning and for each one that is listening online as Brother Will brings the message. God, I just pray that you would have a, a special personal word for each one of us um, and that you would help us to, to open our hearts and to receive it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Thank you, praise team. Give them a big hand, would you? Appreciate them. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. Thank you for being here in person. Last week, last Sunday, we learned to cheer. Remember the cheer? Pressure, pressure, put on the pressure. And the Razorbacks are doing that now, aren't they? Man, it was awesome. They put on the pressure second half yesterday and just, uh, man, they put LSU where LSU needed to be, Tyler, right down there. He's from Louisiana, he likes LSU, but he's still my son-in-law, and I love him, all right? But wasn't that great? That's what happens when the pressure is put on. Have you been under pressure this week? Come on, you can participate in this. Anybody feel pressure this week? Huh? Last week, we learned about that. Let's turn our pressure into praise to God. Thank God for pressure. This week, we're going to talk about pressure of criticism. Have you ever been criticized? Raise your hand if you've ever been the recipient of criticism. And I'm not going to go on until I see every hand because I know we've all been criticized. It's a bad thing, doesn't it? Words hurt, and they hurt to the very core. And sometimes the people that criticize us are, are people that are close to us. Uh, not long ago, there was a CNN reporter at a, at a presidential speech. It was kind of a presidential debate where they were discussing things. And this CNN reporter had her microphone on, and she was discussing things as the uh, debate took place. And she had to go to the bathroom, so she slipped out, went to the restroom, ran into an old friend, the restroom, had, had a slight, uh, short conversation. And during that conversation, she was critical towards her sister-in-law. In fact, she said some very bad things about her sister-in-law. She didn't realize that her microphone was still on. And those critical words to the sister-in-law were being broadcast to literally millions of people across the nation. I, I read that and I thought, wow, I wonder how the next family reunion went. <laughs> kind of reminds me of something that happened down in Greenwood, America a long time ago, didn't it, Miss Whitney? Huh? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't go there. Oh, yeah, I guess I will. Whitney, Whitney and her friend Allie were, were announcing on the PA system out in the, uh, the stadium the, uh, the homecoming court and the homecoming queen. And, and Whitney and Allie were up there talking about all this and talking about these and introducing and doing the, the whole thing. And, and all of a sudden, they started talking about this girl that won homecoming queen and why she didn't deserve to be homecoming queen. <laughs> the dress she was wearing was totally inappropriate for that. And, President, uh, the principal Eford was down on the field waving at him, girls, girls, your mic is on. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> here's, here's what Whitney told me after all that was over. She said, it was all true. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what though? We don't like it when we're criticized, do we? We hate criticism when it comes our way and sometimes man we hear that and it just gets all over what do you do when people criticize you well let me give you the advice that one pastor gave me a long time ago when when i was being criticized he said will all you have to do is stand really still and if you stand still long enough that criticism will go in one ear and out the other and you know what? It really is amazing how much we can shrug off if we really want to. It, it reminds me of Jesus. I don't think there was anyone who ever lived 
that was criticized more than Jesus Christ. They not only criticized his ministry and his message, they wanted to do him physical harm. And there's a story in the gospel of of Jesus being criticized in Nazareth, and they took him to the brow of a hill, and they were about to throw Jesus off of this mountain, and the Bible says that somehow or another, Jesus just slipped right through them and went on his way unaffected. It really is amazing how much we can shrug criticism off. Yet occasionally, I do believe that it is necessary for us to stand up and speak up and explain ourselves to those who are criticizing us. And that's really what 2 Corinthians is all about. The Apostle Paul was extremely distressed by some of the things that were being said about him in the city of Corinth. Very critical things. They were criticizing him and his ministry and his message and his methods. And he didn't like that because it was going to have a negative effect on the gospel and on Jesus Christ himself. And so the book of 2 Corinthians is a very personal, autobiographical work in which Paul seeks to explain himself in the face of all this criticism. Paul's great theme in the book of 2 Corinthians is thank God for pressure because we can turn that pressure into praise. And this morning we're going to talk about the pressure of criticism. And one of the criticisms that Paul was being given in the city of Corinth was that he was too assertive, that he was too authoritative, that he was too bold. And in this passage we're coming to today, he explains his boldness, why it is he is so open and honest and assertive in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself. And in doing so, he tells us how we can be phosphorescent, glow-in-the-dark Christians. This is really a a difficult passage that we're going to read today. I want to tell you that up front. I'm going to read it, and you're going to be sitting back there scratching your head saying, what in the world is this all about? It's difficult, but we don't avoid difficult passages of Scripture. Because here's the deal, David. Those difficult passages are the ones that can change us the most. And I think this one will help you today. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 12 verses, we're going to read verses 7 through 18. Paul wrote and said, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious... How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this difficult passage and speak it into our hearts. Lord, as I speak on the outside, would you speak on the inside? And help us to understand that, you know what, when it's all said and done, even when people are critical towards us, what really matters is what you think about us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to do the right thing, to say the right thing, and to be the person you have called us to be. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, having read that passage, let me just kind of summarize what I believe Paul is saying. He is saying that his message and his Savior is so glorious and so awesome and so wonderful that he is going to be bold in telling other people about Jesus Christ. And because of this boldness, because of Jesus and his glory, this glory is going to so shine in his life that he is going to become phosphorescent himself. He is going to become a glow-in-the-dark Christian. When people look at his life, they're going to see Jesus Christ. And he's not ashamed of Jesus. And he's going to share the truth of Jesus Christ to a world that is veiled in darkness. That's what I think he's saying, and he gets there in four stages. So let's look at the four stages that Paul gives us in these 12 verses. Stage number one, our message, this book right here, this message is what? Super glorious. It's not just glorious, it's super glorious. Say super with me on three. One, two, three. Super. The message is super glorious. He, he tells us about that in verses 7 through 11, let's read it again. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, what was engraved with letters on stone? It was the Ten Commandments, okay? That law of God, Paul says, brought death, but yet it came with glory, so that the Israelites could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory as it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation, that is the Old Testament, the law, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, which is the good news of the gospel? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory of our message in the gospel. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts, which is salvation in Jesus Christ? Are you getting what he's putting down right here? This is really amazing. What Paul is doing in these verses is comparing the old covenant, which was the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, with the new covenant, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's holding both of these covenants up, the old covenant and the new covenant. And what Paul is envisioning when he writes this is the story that is found about Moses in Exodus chapter 34. Remember that story? God had just delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. They had been slaves down there for over 400 years. God set them free. They walked through the Red Sea. They came to Mount Sinai. And there the people huddled together, and Moses went up on top of Mount Sinai to meet with God. Literally, Moses met God face to face. And God gave instructions to Moses to go back down the mountain and give to the people of Israel. And the Bible said that when Moses walked down that mountain, his face was radiating because he had seen God. He had talked to God, and his face became phosphorescent. It was glowing. It was like they put a light bulb under his skin. <laughs> Literally, it was glowing. The Hebrew word that is used to describe this really means rays of light were coming out of his face. And so he came down from that mountain. His face is glowing. It freaked the people out. They were afraid. They were amazed, mesmerized, they said, cover your face, we can't look at that. And so what did Moses do? He put a veil over his face and he covered his face. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Moses received the law when he was on top of Mount Sinai. The, the law was given to show the character and the standard of God's holiness. The, the Ten Commandments summarize the righteous requirements that God has because of his pure character. And in doing so, the law defines sin. That's what the law does. It tells us what sin is. What is sin? Sin is violating the law of God. And guess what? 
We are all sinners. We can't rise up to the standard of God's law. We fall short. That's what the word sin means, to fall short. So we're all sinners. All of us are dying. The law defines sins, and sin results in death. And really, to sum it up, that's what the Old Testament's all about. The Old Testament was written to tell you you're a sinner. Okay? Now, Jesus Christ, however, came not to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And that's what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. When Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed, it was shed for the remission of your sins. Why? Because you're a sinner and you can't do anything to take your sins away. But God loves you so much, he has provided salvation through his son. And in Jesus, you can be saved. In Jesus, you can be forgiven. So what did Jesus come to do? To fulfill the law. Now, if the old covenant was so glorious that it caused Moses' face to shine, how much more glorious is the new covenant? If the law of God is wonderful in that it surmises God's holy character and his expectations, how much more wonderful is it that Jesus Christ came to fulfill God's law and God's expectation? Come on, man. Let me, let me put it like this. If the law was good, grace is better. If the Old Testament was glorious, the message of the New Testament is super glorious. You know what? Listen, listen to me. When, when we back away from this, we understand that this truth, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that is the best news in the world. Because we're all going to die. We're all going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. The only way is through Jesus. Your eternity depends upon your decision of what you do with Jesus Christ. Therefore, this message is super glorious. Super glorious. Stage two is this. Because the message is super glorious, our message makes us bold. That's what he's saying in verse number 12. Moses, Moses veiled his face because it was shining. Paul says, I'm not going to veil my face. I'm not going to cover this up. I am going to be bold. Here's what he says in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're bold. Our hope makes us bold. In this passage, Paul is saying in effect, yes, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am assertive and I am bold. And here is the reason why. It's the best news on the face of this earth. It radiates the truth of God, that God loves you and he can save you from your sins. And even though people reject it and even though people don't understand it, I'm not going to quit telling it because it is the best news there is. I can't keep silent. I've got to speak the truth. And if you criticize me and tell me that I'm too assertive and I'm too bold, that's okay. But it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep being assertive. I'm going to keep being bold. Cowpoke's not in here. Keenan's not in here. He's, he's back there taking care of my grandbabies in the nursery. Keenan, whose cowboy name is Cowpoke, and I went out to shoot cowboy yesterday at Old Fort Gun Club. Uh, it was our Saturday to go shoot, and we didn't have a lot of shooters out there, but there was, there was about 12 in the posse, that's what we call it. I'm throwing out some cowboy lingo to you, okay? There were 12 in our posse. We shot six stages. Each stage has a different scenario, different way we shoot our cowboy guns, and yeah, they're real bullets, and yeah, we have fun doing it. We came to the church. There's, a, there's a, All these scenarios are like old western places. We got a jail out there and a fort out there. There's a church. There's, there's a hanging judge's gallow too because we're yeah it looks just like the one down there but we got a church and guess what the name of the church is 
Kavanaugh Church. Why? Because our guys went down there and built it. Okay? And there's a big sign, one of our guys made it, it says, Kavanaugh Church Preacher, Holy Smoke. That's my cowboy name, Holy Smoke. All right? So we come to the church, and I'm, I'm the one that reads the scenarios of how this stage is, is going to be shot. And I'm reading the scenario, and I mean, it, it's, a, it's really a tough one. There, there are two falling plates with little bitty targets uh, for rifle and pistol and two stationary targets. That, you don't care about this, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. With, with your rifle, you double tap the two stationary targets, and then there's six knockdown targets that you have to knock down. Same thing with the pistols two stationary, and then six, five in each pistol. She'll go double tap, double tap, single on one of the station or on one of the fall downs. Pull out your other pistol, one, two, three, four, five. But you've got to aim to knock those knockdown targets down. Then you pick up your shotgun, double tap over here, double tap over here on knockdown targets. And it's a tough scenario, a tough stage. And we have a line that we say for each stage. The line on this stage is right before you're ready to shoot, when you're ready, you say the line. The line was... Lord, have mercy. And then the beep goes off. Because really, you need some mercy on that stage. It was so hard. Lord, have mercy. Now, here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I know I'm taking too long to tell this story, but I'm getting to the point. Whenever we come to the church and I read the stage, right after I read it, I give them a sermon. Some of them don't want to hear the sermon, but our guys built that church out there. And I think since my name is on it, I can give a sermon if I want to. Yeah. So, so usually what I do is when I'm driving out there, I kind of have in my mind what I'm going to say to him. I had nothing yesterday. But when I read that line, Lord have mercy, man, it just hit me. And I said, guys, and, and again, there's just 12 of them there. I said, guys, listen to me. What you need right now is the mercy of God in your life. And, and this is the, the day of grace and mercy. You need God's grace and God's mercy more than anything else. You would much rather have the grace and mercy of God right now than face the judgment and wrath of God in the day to come. Because you're all going to die and you're going to have to stand before God and give an account of your life. And if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's over with, buddy. You're going to face His wrath and His judgment. It's much better to accept His mercy and His grace right now. Now, a lot of those guys are Christians. They're, amen, amen. Others are, are not, and they were looking at me like, come on, let's draw, man. <laughs> and so then we shot the stage, and after it was over, I was driving home. But while I was driving home, I thought to myself, you know, was I too bold? Was I too assertive with those guys? I mean, I, 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 I don't want to say anything that's going to make them really mad and not like me and not want to talk to me anymore. Was, was I being too bold when I told them that, the way I told them? Was, was I being mean-spirited about it? Maybe they thought I was. But you know what? I had, I had to come back and ask myself, what was your motive, Will? Here's my motive. I love those guys. And I don't want any of them to die without Jesus in their heart. And so if they criticize me and say, holy smokes, you're being a little judgmental or you're being a little too assertive or you're being a little bit bold, I'm going to take that criticism. Why? Because I believe that this message is super glorious. And I believe it has the power to change people's lives. And so I'm going to be bold when I tell them the good news of the gospel. Dig your heels in. Tell them the truth. Why? Brings us to the third stage. This message is veiled to some people. That's really what he's talking about in this passage. It is super glorious in nature, but yet it is veiled to those who don't see it or don't believe it. He tells us this in verses 14 through 17. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, where it, what is it? There's freedom there. Okay? So let me try to explain what Paul is saying here. To a person in the world, to a person who is apart from Christ, not saved, 
their minds and their hearts are veiled. They don't get the truth. They don't understand the truth. And because of that, they are doing some, some wrong things. They are doing some perverted things because they don't believe the truth. In the truth, there's freedom. But only Jesus can take the blindness away from our eyes and our minds and help us to see the world as it really is. But the people of this world, they, they don't get it. I told the first service people that the first time this, this really made an impact on me, Gary, was when we were in Pine Bluff. Now, I'd been raised in church. The first week out of my mama's womb, I was in church, you know. So I grew up understanding the Bible and the stories of the Bible. Angie and I were at Pine Bluff, and we, we taught a teen Sunday school class. And we were bringing in kids into that church who, who man, they had never been to church before. They didn't know any of the Bible stories. And so one Sunday, I can remember reading to them just a simple Bible story from the Old Testament. I mean, if you'd been in church any amount of time, you'd heard this story. And I read the story. They didn't get it. They had never heard this story before. Nor did they get the application that goes along with the story. I, I, I can remember looking into some of their eyes, and their eyes were just glazed like, I have no idea what you're talking about, dude. And, and it made me realize, you know what? Their eyes are blinded. This is going to be a hard case to crack because they don't get it. They don't get it. Now, that's hard for us to understand. Why can't people just understand the truth and get it? They're blind to it. Now, I could use a whole lot of illustrations in our current world to, to illustrate this to you, but let me just crawl out on a branch and give one. Big, big issue today is gender identity, okay? Huge issue in our world, not just in America, but in the world today. And, and here is what has become the norm, okay? The norm is you get to choose your own identity. You get to choose your own gender. Not, not necessarily the way you were born. You get to choose what you want to be. That, that, that has become the norm. So a, a boy could decide, you know what, I, I, I identify as a girl, so I become a girl. A girl could say, I identify as a boy, I become a boy. Problem with that is in the practicality of it, and, and here's where the crunch comes in in the climate in which we live. What they are saying is this, if a young boy, a teenage boy, identifies with being a girl, he can do that. Therefore, he can play on a girl's team. He could play on a girl's basketball team because he identifies as being a girl. Not only that, he can use the girl's bathroom. He can shower in the girl's shower. And if you oppose that and say that that's not right, you are considered very narrow <laughs> and discriminating. Now, maybe if you're in here listening to me, hopefully if you're in here listening to me, or you're listening online, you, you would agree with me and say, how, how in the world could you believe that or come to that conclusion that you would allow a little boy to use the girl's bathroom because he just identifies as being a girl? I mean, if, am I the only one in here who thinks that's mind-boggling? How, how could we come to that point? And let me tell you, that is just one tiny little illustration amongst many others that describe our culture today. How could we get there? This is nothing new. This is not something that only us are dealing with. It was going on in Paul's day. And he explains it to us in the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse number 4. He said, even and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That is, those who are in the world. Here it is. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, 
let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Right there it is. The devil has blinded their minds. So they believe the lie that the devil has fed them is the truth. Are you with me? How in the world could people come to this conclusion? They've been fed a lie by the liar, Satan himself. And they believe this lie is really the truth. That's why they are not tolerant with your opinion. And that's why if you do stand up and say, no, this is not right. It's not the truth. That's the, it's not the way it is. I don't believe that. You know what? If you do that, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be drug under the bus, brother. They are going to criticize you. Why? Because you believe the truth, not the lie. So here it comes down to this. Are you still with me? Okay, here's, here's the deal. It's going to happen. If you really stand up for Jesus and you stand up for the truth, you are going to be criticized. You've got a choice when that happens. You can either be like that. Is it, is it the Geico commercial where the ostrich sticks his head down into the sand? Is it, what, what is that? No, it's Liberty Mutual. See, y'all know your commercials better than I do. Y'all know what I'm talking about? What's the guy's name? Doug. <laughs> Emu. Emu is his name, yeah. <laughs> Let me gather you back in, kids, all right? Your, your choice is you can either stick your head down in the sand and ignore it or back off and say, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Or you can dig your heels in and say, it's the truth. But let me tell you, if you dig your heels in and say, no, this is the truth and this is where I am, you need to examine your own heart. Am I standing on the truth because I really love them, or am I mean-spirited about it? Because let me tell you, if you're mean-spirited and you're judgmental, you're not going to be able to lead anybody to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't act that way. Jesus was loving towards sinners. He kind of got in the grill of those religious elite who thought they were right but were really wrong. When it came to sinners, publicans, harlots, and streetwalkers, Jesus loved them. And so we need to do it in truth. We need to love in truth. We need to do it because we care about people just as Jesus cared about people. You know what? That, that, that brings us to the fourth stage, the final stage. Everybody said, good. <laughs> Glad this is about over with. The fourth stage is this. We are so bold because the world needs to hear the truth, Right? And we are bold because our message has the power to transform. Those people who are blinded by the devil, they need their lives changed. And our gospel can change it. It has the power to transform. When we receive the message of the gospel, that veil is lifted. And we behold, we absorb, we reflect God's glory in ever-increasing measure. Our message and our maker are perfectly transforming in our life. The, the super glory of the gospel soaks into our life and we become phosphorescent, glow-in-the-dark believers. Verse number 18 is one of the most amazing verses that are found in the Bible that talks about this. Here's what he said, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, let me try to dissect that verse and explain it to you. Let, let's exegete that verse. What does he mean when he says, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord? Well, I really think he, he's saying Something like this. We are to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. That would make a good song, wouldn't it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And we keep our eyes on Jesus. 
and we contemplate on Jesus, and we meditate on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the mirror image of God. Jesus is the mirror image of God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. I read years ago about this cathedral in Europe. It was very narrow with a very high ceiling. And in that ceiling, on that ceiling, was beautiful artwork. But it was so narrow and so tall that you couldn't, you couldn't hardly stand there and look up and, and see it all. So the rector of the cathedral put in a huge mirror on the floor and tilted it at just the right angle where you could stand and look in the mirror and see the ceiling. You with me? That's what Jesus does for us. We can't see God. Our God is so holy and so awesome and so infinite and so invisible and so high and exalted and so lifted up that we can't take in all of his glory. But Jesus is the mirror image of God. We read about Jesus in the gospel. We see Jesus in the gospel. And when we see Jesus, we see God. I just read 2 Corinthians 4, 4, but here it is again. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of who? He is the image of God. Christ is the perfect reflection of God himself. But he's positioned himself so that we can know him. We can have a relationship with him. And through Jesus Christ, we can see God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus has made God known to us. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, the Son, that is the Son of God, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. And he is the exact representation of his being. So what do we do? We look at Jesus. And the verse goes on to say, when we look at Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So when we look at Jesus, God is transforming our life and making us like Jesus. It is the power of transformation. It happens from glory to glory or from day to day. You know what this verse is talking about? It's talking about sanctification, being set apart, being made like God. And our goal is what theologians call progressive sanctification. Every day I'm to be more like Jesus. I am to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I have today and the next day than I was the day to come. Every day is a progression of being more like Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we behold the face of Christ? How do we get there? Well, I think there's six easy steps, and I want to finish with these very quickly. Well, the first one's not going to be quick, but the other five, man, they're going to, they're going to blaze through, all right? How in the world do we behold the face of Christ? Number one, we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Guys, that's where it starts. When we pray a sinner's prayer and ask Jesus to come into our house, when we realize that without Jesus, we have no hope for eternity, and we realize we're sinners, and we need a Savior, and so we pray the prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life. You know what? When we pray that, he changes us from the inside out. read an interesting story the other day about this guy. He was the, he was the leader of the Texas Mexican Mafia. Okay, do you know there's a Mexican mafia in Texas? He was the leader of the group, got in trouble, thrown in prison. Several of his gang were in the prison there. And one day in his cell, he was handed a newspaper. And on the front page of this newspaper was a story from the Bible, Mark chapter 5, where Jesus healed this woman. And, and I don't know how it happened, but this gang leader of the Mexican mafia of the Texas chapter read that story and the Holy Spirit started working in his heart convicted him of his sins and right there in his cell he got down on his knees and asked Jesus to come into his heart and save him 
But he's got a problem. Because you can't leave the Mexican mafia except through death. They got a little cliche, blood in, blood out. And he knew he was in big trouble. But he couldn't stay in the mafia. So he kept it silent for a few days. But let me tell you what, when Jesus changes your heart, you can't stay silent. Okay? So he went out to the wreck yard and a bunch of his gang members were out there, about 40 of them. And he went up to them and, and this is what he said to them. He said, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I am backing out of the mafia. I've thought this over long and hard and I know the consequences of this action. You guys do what you have to do. It was an honor to have served you as your leader, but now it's an honor to serve Jesus Christ. You know what happened? Nothing. They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. They just watched him. And over the next couple of months, there was a revival in that prison and 97 inmates got saved. That's the power of this message. And that's where it starts in your life. You let God change you. You want to see Jesus as he is? Well, you've got to be born again. You've got to become a part of the family. When you accept Jesus, what does the Bible say here? The veil is removed. The Spirit of God takes that darkness away. And you can see and understand biblical truth. Second thing we do is we read about Jesus in the Word of God. I always say to you guys, you need to be reading your Bible, right? You all know that. You all know you need to read daily, and I hope you are. This year, I want you to take it up a notch. Not just read your Bible, study your Bible. Agonize over passages. Memorize the Word of God. Put it into action. Do what it says to do. And then number three, we trust Him. If we want to see the image of God, we got to trust Jesus. When difficult moments come and criticism is poured on we trust that jesus is going to lead us through and then number four we pray we come into his presence frequently we pray to him not only at specific times but there is a constant prayer on our lips number five we memorize verses why we we're hiding god's word in our heart so that when the world puts its squeeze on us it's the Word of God that comes out of our life. So we memorize verses, even like 2 Corinthians 3.18, which is a tough verse, but you need to understand that God is transforming you into the very image of Christ from glory unto glory. Hide that in your heart. And then number six, we ask the Holy Spirit to transform us into the very image of Jesus so that we look like, we sound like, and we act like our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, th this message is all about criticism. Can I tell you something? If you stand for Jesus, criticism is going to come. The question is, what, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to cave in? Or are you going to care more about what the critic is saying or about what Jesus has said? Because let me tell you, all these other voices that are at one point in time are going to be silenced let me put it like this eric it really doesn't matter what all these other people think about you really i mean it doesn't i mean if you're like me when we were in high school cool in the 70s wanted to drive a ta trans am you know it mattered what people thought about us what people said about us but you know what i think back to lubbock texas coronado high school i don't see any of those people anymore why in the world was I trying to be so impressive to them? Why was I so worried about what they thought? About? I, I don't know any of those people anymore. If you want to be concerned about what somebody thinks about you, I think it's much better to be concerned about what he thinks about you. Because again, there's going to come a time when it doesn't matter what everybody else says. What matters is what he says. So let's live for him. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Even if you're watching online, I encourage you to stand. This is a time in our service where we just make a commitment of our lives to Jesus. And maybe through this message, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and, and you're the one who needs to be saved. You need to invite Jesus into your heart. 
It's a real simple thing. God doesn't make it difficult. You just recognize that you're a sinner and you need Jesus to save you. And you pray a prayer kind of like this one. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I believe that you are the Christ and that you can save me. So Lord, save me. If you need to pray that prayer, do it right now. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you're just, man, the pressure is turned on and you need God's help. Let me tell you, he loves you. He cares for you and he wants to help you. So call out on him right now. I think for all of us who are here, we need to pray for boldness. Our message is super glorious. And there are people all around us who need to hear the truth. So why don't we pray and ask God to make us bold as we tell this story that can transform anyone's heart. Lord Jesus, we do love you. I pray that you would work in our lives right now as only you can. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can sit down just for a second. A couple of things. Um, when you leave and walk out the door, make sure you put your mask back on. Uh, Governor Asa's uh, kind of given a uh, update on the on the mandates he's lifting a lot of the restrictions and maybe if things continue to go well by the end of march the mask restriction is going to be taken away uh, that'd be good with me yeah. and uh, yeah and here's what i'm excited about that we take the restrictions off of our our pews here and we take these little cords down and we fill this place back up man i'm so excited for that and uh, pray with me pray with me that that will all happen by April 4th. And you say, well, why April 4th, Brother Will? Because April 4th is Easter. And I, and I, I want to see this place full again on Easter. Not only are we going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on April 4th, but we're going to relaunch our campaign, It's Our Turn. And we're just going to tie that in with the power of the resurrection. Because if you walk through the new building over here, it's getting pretty close to being done, and you need to pay for it. So... Uh, we're going we're gonna to start the It's Our Turn campaign. Be praying with me about that. So when you walk out, put your mask back on, drop your offering in one of those black boxes. 6.30 tonight on Facebook Live, Brother Ray Copeland is going to be bringing the Bible study lesson. So tune into that. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we have things going on for all ages. I encourage uh, you teenagers to come. Parents, bring your kids and adults come in here. Man, I love you guys. I hope you have a great day. Kristen, would you stand up right back here? Beautiful. Kristen is 18 today. Y'all give Kristen a big hand. Love you, girl. Happy birthday. Y'all be safe. You're dismissed.